guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. My name is Zach and my wife Krista. Hello. And I are the hosts of this podcast. We're excited to study with you this week in Matthew chapters 21 through 23, uh, Mark 11, Luke 19 and 20, and John 12, all four books this week. We want to dedicate this episode. Um, last week, we began with a discussion about marriage and family. We want to dedicate this episode to love, hugging, and kissing. True story. We were in our kitchen um, sometime this week, and I was just giving Krista a hug. And our oldest son, who likes to roll his eyes whenever we hug, the, the boys roll their eyes and groan when we hug, and the girls go, kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> so our oldest son goes, you guys should write a book and call it Hugging and Kissing, How to Do It. And so there you go. If you see a book on the shelves in the near future that's titled Hugging and Kissing, How to Do It. it You'll came, know where the idea yeah, was started. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we are excited to be with you. We want to start again. We, we began last week with a doctrinal discussion with a a fresh and faithful view of a of a church doctrine that maybe sometimes gets overlooked. And we want to start again with that. And again, it comes from our study of the scriptures this week. This is at the end of Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus poses a question to the Pharisees. Uh, this is verse 42, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. Classic Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah or the Christ will come from the lineage of David. So it will be David's son. Jesus turns this on its head and counters by saying, verse 43, How then does David in spirit call him Lord? If David refers to the Messiah as his Lord, how is it that that Messiah is just a political Messiah that is the seed or the the, the descendant of David. And of course, they can't answer him. Uh, This hints at a foundational and fundamental, perhaps the foundational and fundamental truth of the gospel, which is the doctrine related to the Godhead, the Father, the Father's relationship with the Son, the Son and the Father's relationship with the Holy Ghost, and our relationship with all three of them. Now, I sometimes think we get a little we get a little too, um, I don't know, worried about this. I get questions a lot of times from students where they'll ask, well, what's the difference between each of them? And what if I accidentally pray to Jesus? And, and I wonder that a lot. Yeah. I and, mean, sometimes I think, wait, who are they talking about here? Right. In the scriptures? When it says the Lord, who, who is it? And, right. you know, yes. which God are we talking about? And part of that honestly comes because the Savior himself is not really clear. Uh, he's the one that says things like in the Book of Mormon, uh, I and the Father and the Holy Ghost are one God. Amen. That shows up all the time in the in the New mm-hmm. Testament and in the Book of Mormon. Right. And so if the Savior is not as focused on clearly delineating between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost, maybe we don't need to stress so much about it, right? When he says to Philip, Philip, have you been with me? Have you been with me so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. We are united. Sometimes I think we're a little too um, eager to separate ourselves from other Christians because we know that they believe in a trinity and we want to be really clear in saying we do not believe in a trinity. That's one of the big reasons why they say we're not Christian, just so you know. 
uh, is because we don't believe in the traditional Christian doctrine of the Trinity, when actually we kind of do. If you have other Christian friends and you talk to them about God, they will say something like what we say. Well, there's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost, and but they're one God. And our Book of Mormon says the same thing. Um, I've heard another Christian say it's like an egg. We've got the shell and the egg white and the yolk. They're three separate things, but it's one God. Well, we would say the same thing. Elder Holland has said the same thing. We believe that the Godhead is one in everything, with the sole exception that they are the exact same person. Other Christians would just say, well, they're the same God, they're the same essence, um, and they're different manifestations of that essence. But really, we're just talking about a unified Godhead that's there to that loves us and that cares about us and that and is there to guide it's us. It's more the personages that, that differ us right. because of that unification that the scriptures always talk about. Right. So, however, to help with that understanding, uh, this is, I think, 40 plus years ago, and we'll link this in our show notes, but uh, there was a talk given by Elder McConkie at BYU in response to a movement in the church where people were singling out specific members of the Godhead for quote-unquote special relationships. Uh, They would go on these hikes and go out into the wilderness to discover their special relationship with Jesus to the exclusion of their relationship with the Father or their relationship with the Holy Ghost. It became this really weird movement. Elder McConkie uh, was very quick and very clear to correct it. And he gave this talk called Our Relationship with the Lord. And in it, he specified that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one God and our are united, but that they have different responsibilities or roles in our life. And so he clarified that the Father is God the Creator, And he gets that title because he is, even though Jesus Christ formed the earth, uh, the Father created our spirits and created the bodies of Adam and Eve. That earns him the right of the creator. Jesus is God the Redeemer. He's the one that mediates our relationship with the Father and that saves us and brings us to the Father. And the Holy Ghost is God the Testator. He's the one that witnesses of truth and witnesses of Christ. To be really simple... The Father is our goal. He's the one we're trying to get back to. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we try and emulate. He's the one that we want to become like. Jesus is the way. He said that of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father but by me. His his goal or our relationship with him is one where he helps us come to the Father. The Holy Ghost is the guide. He's the one that testifies of the Son, that teaches us and testifies of truth and helps us to follow Christ and his gospel. And so the goal, the way, and the guide, and our relationship with them is ultimately to become like our Father in heaven, to live with him and have all that he has. Okay, we've got a lot of chapters we're wanting to cover. As Zach already mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all here as we're talking about these this last week of the Savior's life, kind of beginning our study in that. And we've got some really great parables and teachings um, from the Savior. I think one of the words that helps us as we were studying this and trying to figure out what is it that links all of this together, one thing I've never noticed before is how often the word fruit shows up in the stories and in the parables. Uh as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, there's the fig tree that doesn't bear fruit that he curses. In the parable of the wicked husbandman, 
he sends back his servants and his son to try and get fruit from this field, and the servants and the son are killed. At the end of John chapter 12, it talks about the fruit of the Savior, that when a corn falls on the ground, that it bears fruit. Fruit is strung all throughout this. And so we, we spent quite a bit of time wrestling with what is it that that these gospel writers are trying to help us to see by bringing up this idea of fruit over and over. And, and one of the things that helped make it clear is that first story in Matthew chapter 21. Um, this is verse 17. And he left them and went into a city, into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. This is kind of a weird little mini story. But as you think about what is it that upset the Savior, it might be this. He created that tree to bear fruit. The whole point of making a tree is so that it can bear fruit. I spent a lot of time this last week in work meetings studying the parable of the seed in Alma chapter 32. But the whole parable in Alma chapter 32 that we love, we focus on the seed. The whole point of planting a seed is to get to the fruit. And Alma makes that clear. You don't plant a seed just to see if it's a good seed. You plant a seed to get fruit. And so here's Jesus looking at a tree that he created that should be bearing fruit. And it's not. And sometimes I wonder, and as we're studying this, I wonder, does the creator, either the father or, or the son, look at us and say, I made you to bear fruit. I made you to bear some specific fruit. And we now have to ask ourselves the question of, am I bearing the fruit the Savior wants me to bear? Am I doing what he has asked me to do? I really think this is such a cool study to think about. And I love the way that um, this is kind of illustrated in the parable of the 10 pounds. So this is in Luke 19. And it's about the king um, who calls up his servants. And he gives them 10 pounds. And each of them has the opportunity to do something with these and to see what what's going to happen with these and we we know the story this is very similar to the parable of the talents Mm -hmm. where you see some of these people are going to take all of their 10 talents and invest in it and some of them only take five and then another person covers covers it up with cloth and he says here at the end in verse 26 i tell you that to everyone who has more will be given and from the one who does not have even what he does have will be taken away I've always kind of had a, maybe, I don't know what you'd call it, a confusion about these kind of parables, because I thought, you know, oh, I didn't practice the piano as much, <laughs> or my talent, should I should have been better at this talent, which could be very true. Um, but I think, I really like thinking about it in in this way that we're going to be talking about today, is, is this is our fruit, this is our our mission. This is our purpose in God. What is he trying to teach us? And that when we really seek after who he wants us to be, when he gives us, as illustrated here, these 10 pounds, what what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do? Are we going to seek after? Because I really like that it says, um, 
what I already read in 26, that to everyone who has, more will be given. And I believe that as we seek after producing fruit, that he teaches us how to give more fruit mm-hmm. and how to be find purpose in him and bear that fruit that we as his creations, just like the fig tree, are supposed to bear fruit and that he is the gardener who's going to teach us how to how to bear that fruit. You know, he sums this up at the end of that parable of the wicked husbandman. Uh, this is back in Matthew 21, verse 43. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, like you read, taken from those that don't have, that haven't used it, that haven't done well. Mm-hmm. It'll be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. God gives to those who are magnifying their calling or or acting on their divine purpose, who are producing fruit. Those who produce fruit are blessed with greater chances to bear more fruit. And so three questions we want to ask that will help guide our study, not just of the scriptures, but of our own lives this week. Question one, what is the fruit that God expects me to produce? What is it that he wants you to do? Question two, what is it that's stopping you or hindering you from producing that fruit? And number three, what do you need to do? What do I need to do to enable myself to bear fruit? So maybe that first question, what fruit does the Lord expect me to bear? We were kind of thinking, what does it really mean? What is fruit? Mm -hmm. And I think maybe just because we've been in this New Testament um, study, John the Baptist's words came to me. What is what does he mean by this fruit meat for repentance that we hear him saying often? And what I see in that is that humble attitude, these these thoughts and feelings that we come and maybe what we talked about earlier is that who does God want me to be? That humility that comes when you need to repent and when you want to know who God who God sees you as. Well, I think even more so fruit is an outcome. And so the question we're really asking is what what's what outcomes what products does God want me to make? What outcomes does he want me to reach? What fruit does he want me to bear? And so the fruits meet for repentance like you're saying is he wants me to become a humble and repentant and submissive person. That might be a particular fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Another one that we thought of was uh, the scripture that by your by their fruits you shall know them. I think there's a desire from God that we uh, live a certain lifestyle, that we live certain standards, that we behave a certain way as disciples of Christ so that other people, as the Savior said in the Sermon on the Mount, can see our good works and glorify God, which is in heaven. And so it could be fruits of attitude, like you're saying. It could be fruits of behavior or fruits of action. But there is an expectation that God has for us that we do certain things, that we that we bear certain fruit. Well, I just, I love the, I know this is about the fruits of the spirit, but in Galatians 5, some of those words I think fit in with these type of attitude, those type of fruits that Mm -hmm. need to be coming from us. And they tie in because the fruit of the spirit, the spirit's going to be the one that teaches us and helps us become this. These love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these are those fruits, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And so... For each of us, whether it's uh, attitudes or behaviors or actions, 
I think it's clear that there is an expectation that the Lord has for us that we bear certain fruit. And this question, in addition to the other two questions, are probably more personal than they are, uh, I don't know, scripture study. These are questions you need to take to God and say, what is it that you want me to be doing? And that's such a really, it's a powerful question to ask. What is it that God wants me to do? Why did he make me? Why does he put me here at this particular time, in this particular family, in this particular spot? Um, and sometimes that's the question, not sometimes, all the times, that's the question we need to take to him and then he'll answer for us. I think this really helps our personal discipleship to become something really powerful when we take on the responsibility of what fruit am I to bear? What does God want me as his creation to be doing and to be creating for him? So that leads to that second question of what is it that stops us from bearing fruit? And I think the first thing that comes to mind um, another theme throughout all of these chapters is the theme of hypocrisy, right? Jesus curses the fig tree because it's, it looks like a fig tree. It's acting like a fig tree. It even has the leaves of a fig tree, but it's not bearing figs. And so it's, it's on the outward. It looks like something that it isn't on the inside. There's the parable of the two sons in Matthew chapter 21, uh, where the father sends both of his sons out into the vineyard, presumably to gather fruit or at least to work in the pursuit of fruit. The first son says he'll go, but then doesn't. The second son says he won't go, but then repents and goes. And it's the second son that's praised. Again, it's that first son, the hypocritical one, that says he'll do something that pretends to do something that won't. Um, at the end of Matthew 23, in fact, all of Matthew 23 is Jesus's woes or condemnations of the Pharisees and the scribes who are pretending they're in a position of leadership. They should be bearing a certain kind of fruit and they're not. And so he takes them to task in a whole chapter on it, tells the people to listen to what they're saying, but not to do what they're doing because they're not bearing fruit. And so one of the things that comes to mind that blocks us from bearing fruit is image and perception and uh, the visual pursuit of success as opposed to inward, um, more quiet, more contemplative pursuit. And um, as we were talking about that, one of the thoughts that came to mind is sometimes we don't ask the question to God of what fruit do you want me to bear? Because there are so many ready answers to that question that are provided by the world around us, even provided by the church. I have a job. I have a calling. Maybe I have a couple of callings. I have responsibilities. So when it comes to the question of what does God want me to do, I already have the answers provided. And a lot of times they're very visible answers. I need to be in this position. I need to lead this meeting. I need to be here. I need to be there. I need to be doing this and doing that. And sometimes there's so many of those things that we don't pause to ask God, what is it that you sent me here to do? Which is probably a bigger answer than I want you to be the elders quorum president right now, or I want you to be the young woman's president. That's a temporary answer. God's answer to the question is probably going to be bigger and more, uh, more personal, more longstanding. Or even maybe the way in which you should be serving in those capacities. Cause I don't think there's anything wrong with using those capacities as a way to, to serve and to exercise your gifts, but maybe it gives us a wider view of who he wants us to be so that we can be more better served in in those capacities that are given to us. But certainly I think it's so important to to really look into those 
as that parable that I mentioned before, look at those 10 things and say, these are good, but what more can I do with them? Yeah. How can I be, see that better view of, of who God sees me as? My, my personal experience with this is um, when I began teaching seminary, that was my service to God. I am a seminary teacher and that's what I do. Um, I did a, this was like my first or second year, I did a lesson on hypocrisy. We were studying the New Testament and I asked, the word hypocrite means a play actor. It's a Greek word that means someone that's putting on a mask and pretending to be something. So I asked one of my students, who wants to be a hypocrite? Um, and I want you to pretend to be me. And I had one student that nailed it. He put on my jacket. He got my tone of voice right. He got what I later learned my students called the seminary shuffle, where I didn't do this anymore, but I used to hold a marker in my hand and I would shuffle sideways with my marker kind of jabbing in the air at students as I talked to them. Uh, and he did it <laughs> Wait, perfectly. I, I think you need to bring that back. I want to <laughs> see this shuffle. <laughs> it was so... And what I realized is, man, I, I not intentionally... But I have unintentionally created Brother Horton the facade, Brother Horton the seminary teacher, that was different than Zach Horton, the guy that goes home and, you know, plays board games with his wife. I was a different person. And it bothered me to realize that I had created this fake person that was built out of my responsibility and my assignment. And it was hypocritical. And I realized that I needed to change. I needed to be me all the time. And so over the next couple of years, it was a process to get rid of the facade, get rid of the hypocrite, and be me, and be open and honest with my students and with myself. And it was beautiful, and it's an incredible. it was an incredible journey, but an even greater result to now be in a classroom and, and study the scriptures with my students the way that I study them at home and the way I study them with my wife, and to be the same kind of person all those places with all my many flaws and imperfections and problems. There's something there. And so I found greater purpose when I stopped focusing on the visual hypocritical facade that I was putting forward and found what God truly wanted me to be. I'm sure we all have those. I'm sure this is probably one of the easier ones. What stops me from bearing forth fruit or from bringing forth fruit? I think that's a pretty easy one probably for most of us, right? So let's focus on the next question of what do I really need to do to bring forth fruit? And we're going to use a couple of these stories um, in the scriptures, in this scripture block to, to answer those. And first off, I love that this is the triumphal entry. Let's, even just the title of that, let's let him triumphantly enter into your life. Um, we we asked that question in our Easter episode when we talked about Jesus's last week. And on that Monday, we asked the question of, am I letting him enter in? Am I letting him triumphantly enter in? And I think that is a great question to ask ourselves. Um, am I, am I letting him in? I've said that a lot of times now. Um but I love the way that these people were preparing and the example that we can take from them as they, as they cut down these branches, as they laid down their coats and as they, they waved and they sang Hosanna to him and let him enter into their city. Are we preparing a way? Are we allowing him to enter into our cities, into our homes and into our hearts? So the answer to the question of how do I start bearing fruit is uh, brings to mind the parable that Jesus taught when he says, I am the good vine. Um, 
and you are the branches. In other words, I can't bear fruit without the vine. I can't be, I don't bear fruit in and of myself. I have to be connected to the Savior. And so if I want to start bearing fruit, I have to find a way to meaningfully connect or reconnect myself to the Savior. Only then will I experience those fruits of repentance or the fruits of the Spirit or the fruits of behavior that show other people what I believe in and help them to come closer and glorify God. That only happens when I'm connected to the Savior, when I let him enter into my life. I think that we get further answer to this question as we um, hear about this man, Zacchaeus. So this is in Luke 19, and Jesus is entering into Jericho. Starting in verse 2, it says, There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So quickly he came down and welcomed him joyfully. Um... You love this story. Why are you seeing me read it? I and just, I'm... I just, yeah. You, you, you've <laughs> talked a lot about it, and well, it's just, it's just great. And I think um, some of the word, the things that I thought of was, first off, he's trying to see Jesus. He is looking for him. He's not able to see him because of the crowd. How many times do we let crowds, whatever form those are, get in the way of us seeing Jesus? Or maybe they're just in the way. We don't even let them get in the way, and. Because he was a short man, he's he's he can't see Jesus because of his own human frailty. Mm -hmm. That was not something he did on his own. Sometimes it's just like, man, I am not tall enough to see Jesus. And this is really frustrating. So he runs and he climbs up the tree to see Jesus. Um, so I love that despite those challenges that come up, as we are trying to bring forth the fruit, as we are trying to get to Jesus and let him enter, um, whether it's our own frailties or the crowds or the people, we can still run and climb up to see Jesus and he will see us and he will notice us just like he did. And he'll He'll invite us. He'll invite himself to his our house just like he did with him. And once he does, that brings us back to the beginning of he then can answer that first question for us of what for I'd love to hear the discussion between him and Zacchaeus. Yeah. Here's the fruit I want you to bear. Here's what I'm calling you to be. And so, you know, and not only that further down in the story, just as you're saying that I thought of this, he says, um, you know, a lot of people said, Hey, don't go to his house. He's a, he's, he's a, a bad man. Mm -hmm. This is what he's done. He's taken our money. And Zacchaeus said there and said, Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have exhorted extorted anything from anyone i'll pay back four times um and jesus is just ready to forgive and ready to teach him yeah. and be there to guide him yeah so ask yourself those questions this week uh what fruit does the lord expect you to bear what's getting in your way from bearing that fruit and what do you need to do what can you do now to start bearing that kind of fruit uh, at the end of john chapter 12 uh, another mention of fruit. This time it's not in connection with a tree or with us, anything symbolizing us. This time it's in connection with the Savior. It's a group of people that comes to the Savior, come to Philip and Andrew and say, we want to see Jesus. And Philip and Andrew approach the Savior, and then this is what he says. This is verse 23 in John 12. Jesus replied, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verily, uh, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Um, this image to me is beautiful, that the Savior is the ultimate seed and source of fruit. He will give himself, he will sacrifice himself so that his, his seed, his fruit can spread to so many. Um, when we ask these difficult questions of ourselves, when we seek to bear fruit, we're mirroring, we're emulating the Savior. We're laying down our own will, our own desires, sacrificing them and accepting his answer to that question and his designation for us. And as we do that, um, our fruit will be able to spread and we'll be able to influence um, many more people, those that we love and those that we care about, and ultimately come closer to God. You guys, thank you so much for being with us, for listening. Um, we hope you enjoy your study this week. And if you get a chance, we would love to for you to take the time to leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Thank you.